Welcome to another hard-hitting episode of Customer Cafe by Calabria. Calabria is a tool that turns good account managers into great account managers through the power of great collaboration. A great account manager is a team player. This podcast is made for those in sales, customer success, and account management as a place to caffeinate, ideate, and collaborate. Subscribe now for the latest brew. Let's hit the grind. Welcome to the show. My name is Menachem. I'm the VP Growth at Calabria. My name is Sharon. I also work at Calabria. I'm the Senior Content and Community Manager. And we're joined today by Hamish Knox, and we'll talk about him in just a second. Uh, But first, I just want to say, if you're listening to this podcast, you are in the sales business, and we are developing a sales tool. So if you want to introduce more collaboration into the way your your sales team is works together, uh, check us out, Calabria.com. We have not gone live yet, but you can register for a free beta waitlist and sign on to be one of our design partners. We are not charging any money. We just want to understand how people use our product and we want your feedback. Uh, so without any further ado, Hamish Knox, uh, veteran sales mentor, president of sales for training and consulting. Uh, his first book was accountability. The second, the Sandler way developing a leadership mindset in 20 minutes a week. And his second book was Change the Sandler Way, Understanding the Human Dynamics that Cause New Initiatives to Succeed. Uh, Podcast host, like us, uh, of the Full Funnel Freedom Podcast. Check it out. Uh, Hamish Knox, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Great to be here. You left out, you're six foot seven. I am. Okay, I just want to make sure that's included. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i guess first question is how does how does height help you in sales it's great great question uh on video not so much anymore um i uh i used to uh train muay thai thai boxing for about 10 and a half years and uh one of my sparring partners one time said you're so frustrating to spar with i never know if i'm in your range and i said assume you are (laughs) You know, uh, like in the last couple of years, obviously, uh, so many people have started, uh, so many people have started work in new companies and, you know, went for months or years even without meeting any of their coworkers. And like, you know, I've read articles about how like people are like give off tall energy or short energy, and it doesn't necessarily match up with how tall or short you are. Uh, and then like meet people for the first time. And it's like, wow, you're a lot shorter than I thought you would be or taller. Uh, so Hamish, tell us about sales. What, what's, what's your deal? So my deal is, uh, so I have the podcast full funnel freedom. The the goal is to celebrate sales leaders uh, and the success they have achieved through others and support sales leaders in keeping their funnels consistently reliably full. And then sales for training and consulting is my operating company. I'm a member of the Sandler network. We're the largest leadership and sales development company in the world. So a lot of times uh, we are, we have two buckets that we work in. So Bucket one, from an organizational perspective, how do you create a consistent, sustainably scalable sales engine or revenue engine for the business? Everything from getting the best people to get in front of the best prospects. And then on the other side, we're about how do you have more effective human-to-human interactions, both professionally and personally? So that's what we're into. Um, How do you do that? So, uh, So I... 
use the, the Sandler communication system, right? So okay. conversational models, small mutual agreements, but really what it does is it strips away all the nonsense that often comes between buyers and sellers, supervisors and direct reports, spouses and partners, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's, it's really about creating clarity um, and even if the conversation doesn't go so well, because as, as leaders, we, we have to have awkward conversations, right? Our, our, we've got a seller who's not performing. We have to say, hey, you got to pick it up. And, and it used to be that shape up or ship out conversation. And using the tools that uh, we share with our clients and that I use with my team, each person leaves that conversation going, okay, I'm glad we had that. Mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily like how it started because I, I had to hear that I was not necessarily being my best self, but I feel supported instead of slapped. Do you feel like the nature of sales has changed? You know, is that because of, of like the work that you're doing? Or are there other factors that have led to that? You know, we've heard this, you know, and seen this, the, the shift mm-hmm. from more of the cutthroat sales to more collaborative, if you will. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the um, you know, I've been in sales since I was 19 and uh, one of David Sandler's rules was people buy in spite of the hard sell, not because of it. And, and it's really true. Like when, when we go out as sellers and we're just focused about basically getting our next commission check, uh, our buyers can sense that. And then they get us to do things that are not in our best interest, like offer discounts or free services or extended terms that normally we would have got paid for, but we're just giving it away because we want to get that, that commission check. Whereas if we go out and be buyer-centered, and focus on supporting the buyer with where are they now? Where do they want to be? What's the gap? Do they want to close it with us? And not everyone does. Mm -hmm. That's when we create more successful, long-term, mutually profitable relationships. Uh, Even before I got into Sandler, uh, I was a a hunter. That's my wiring. And I would say to my prospects who were very, very large companies in Western Canada, I don't want your business today. And they kind of look at me like, you're, but you're in sales. Like, what, what, what do you mean you don't want your business today? And I would say, I mean, uh, certainly I'd love, I'd love to earn your business today. But what I'd love is to be sitting with you 10 years from now going, mm-hmm. hasn't this been an awesome 10-year relationship? How do we make it another X number of years and make it even more awesome? So even before I got into Sandler, I was really focused on how do I not just get the, get the win today, but how do I make this good for both of us over the however long we trust each other to work together? Uh, a lot of that shift also kind of matches the 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 trajectory of sales in in B2B SaaS mm-hmm. uh which you know started out focused on you know the big sale you know you get the credit yeah. card you get the big you know and now it's all about the ARR yeah. um and it's it, the, the the initial you know who cares about the first month it's about booking a com- uh you know a new contact a new a new account and then yeah. landing and expanding and building that relationship into more recurring revenue. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the key things that we've been talking a lot about lately is the difference between rapport and a relationship. Hmm. So the root of the word rapport is the word trust. And uh, there, whoever does the trust surveys, I think it's JD Power, and they rank the professions that people trust the most. You know, doctors are always at the top and lawyers are often always at the bottom. And uh, the last one that I saw, it said 6% of respondents trusted car salespeople. Now you could probably drop the word car off and just go salespeople in general. And what it's just under congressman. Yeah. Just something, something, yeah, right. They're interchangeable almost, right? Because they're still in sales too. And what what we've been sharing with our clients recently is 
our buyers, especially when it's a new sale, they don't buy because of a relationship because we don't have one. They buy because they trust us. So we need to build rapport. And then the relationship is important long-term, but relationships are two-way. A lot of sellers that we talk to, they're like, I have a great relationship with Sharon. Well, what it means is Sharon responds to my voicemails and my emails. And if I called Sharon up and said, hey, Sharon, who do you buy this from? They go, I don't know. I just, I, I order it from this company. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, who's your rep? I don't know. Whoever, I, whoever answers the phone. Like, oh, so you have a great relationship with Sharon. Yeah. So that relationship is when we're trying to support each other back and forth. And then also the quick acid test is, does your buyer ask you for support with services that don't put money in your own pocket? Because if we're selling SaaS and, the, and, my, and my buyer's like, hey, Hamish, uh, man, I need a, I need a new uh, copier. Like my copier is broken. Mm-hmm. Do you know someone who sells copiers? And I don't sell copiers. Mm-hmm. But that's when, that's when we have a relationship. When they ask us for support for things that don't directly relate to what we sell. That's, that's an interesting metric. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm thinking back to some like, you know, relationships that I've had that, you know, somebody's, you know, an account manager and they provide me with the service and I just develop this kind of good rapport with them. And then I like lean on them for advice and like kind of, you know, related fields, but not exactly what they're doing. And uh, those are the best relationships. Amen, brother. Yeah. Let me ask you, do you consider yourself to be a salesperson? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, because every human to human interaction is some form of selling. Uh, and, you know, Dan Pink wrote that great book to sell as human. Uh, mm-hmm. And every time we are trying to, in some way, influence somebody, whether it's where do you want to go out for dinner tonight or what movie do you want to see uh, or when should the kids go to bed or when should you go to bed, child? Uh, we, we, are all, we are all selling. And uh, one, of the, one of the mindsets that we coach the entrepreneurs that we work with on is you will always be the chief sales officer in your business. Always. Whether you have a team of sellers, whether you have a layer of sales management, sales leadership in between, mm-hmm. The entrepreneur is always the chief sales officer and too many entrepreneurs, oftentimes because they just want to be working on the thing. They're just like, can, can sales happen? I'll outsource that. It's like, no, no, because no, you promised hockey stick and salespeople are like high-performing athletes or high-performing artists. They need care and attention and feeding. And too often the entrepreneur just wants to go get that off my plate and that's when they start doing themselves a disservice. And that's when they get taken advantage of by sellers who are like, I've got a great network. I've got lots of contacts. And 18 months later, they still haven't sold the thing. So, so a lot of your training is for people who are not typically uh, people who wouldn't typically consider themselves to be salespeople. It sounds like we, we certainly do work with a lot of individuals Mm -hmm. because there, no one says, you know, I want you to be in sales when you grow up, right? I have two daughters who, right. who are almost eight and almost 11. And uh, I've said to neither of them, I want you to be in sales when you grow up. I have said entrepreneur, which is code for salesperson. They yeah. will figure that out later. But especially I'm based in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. We're a very engineering heavy city. And, you know, engineers and accountants and lawyers and, and, and IT professionals are taught to be an engineer. And then they get into business and they go, oh, 
I can't just be an engineer. I got to be a business owner. I got to be a seller. I got to be all this stuff. And so, uh, but because we're process oriented and engineers are process oriented, uh, so we're IT, that's where they really glom onto what we're sharing because it's putting the pressure on the process, not the person. So do you set up sales teams from scratch? Uh, yeah. We've certainly supported uh, clients in, in in getting people on board. We're certainly not recruiters. We have uh, several friends who are, and they do very, very good work at recruiting salespeople. But what we give our clients is the, the, the tools to get the best people on their team, get the best out of them, get in front of the right prospects at the right time for the right reasons, qualify and close them while staying in control of the sales cycle, and then creating long-term mutually profitable relationships. We're not, we're, we're more like Sherpas. We're not going to carry our clients to the top of their mountains because cr frankly, my knees can't handle that, but we are going to support and guide them and possibly point out alternate routes. Like, I know you want to go this way, but if you go six inches to the right, you can actually get to your mountaintop faster than if you just plow straight ahead. What, what are some of the hurdles that you face when you're, you're trying to train uh, a team to kind of, you know, work in a more cohesive way together um, and they're resistant to it? So because I've been in sales for such a long time I, and I've done all, I did all sorts of training. I never knew about Sandler before I was introduced to it by my, my last sales manager. Um, but there is the cliche of the seller who's like, yo, the born salesperson and I do it my way, boss. It's like, that's awesome. But if we don't have a common language for sales, I might think that I have a hot lead because I met someone in a networking event and they said, yeah, maybe possibly someday in the future, I'd strongly consider thinking about considering reaching out to you. And I'm like, awesome, got one, 90% in my funnel. And I have another colleague who, unless they have like a signed agreement in their hand, doesn't even think it's a 50% opportunity. So without that common language, the leaders have to be translating all the time and they can't predict cash flow. They can't predict sales cycles. So the, the biggest challenge is the salespeople feel like they're getting handcuffs put on them. And our stuff is not handcuffs, it's freedom because we're saying, here's a box. Here's the guardrails that we want you to stay in. In here, do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. It's just important that you get to the end result, not that you get to it in our way. And so that's where the initial resistance comes in is people think that we're trying to uh, handcuff them into following a certain script. I don't believe in scripts. Uh, we're giving them tools to all sing from the same songbook, if you will. Singing from the same songbook. I, I like that. Yeah. Um, one quote that I pulled from your site, um, the Sandler site is, excellence is a direction, not a destination. Um, so there, there have to be limitations. Um, how, how does this specific phrase help inspire or guide? Um, I'm calling them Sandlers. Do you call them Sandlers? Uh, yeah, no. learn, learners, learners, okay. <laughs> learners. Um, we, we will have clients who will say, well, I sandlered them. I'm like, so you had a clear, open, honest communication where everybody knew what was going to be talked about. Everyone was comfortable with the outcomes and both parties left feeling satisfied. That's what you mean, right? And they're like, yeah, I'm like, so that's a bad thing. <laughs> you should probably just stop doing that. And they're like, no, it's great. I love it. I use it everywhere. Um, so that because we are trained, especially in, in, you know, in Western society to be like, hit the outcome, hit, get to the finish line, whatever. And that's playing a finite game. And, and I love that idea of finite and infinite games. And I really see that, um, I'm playing an infinite game 
Um, you know, my North Star is uh, to create generational wealth for my family and I to enjoy in an easy, lucrative and fun manner while supporting as many people as possible. So when I look at working with a thousand person company, but I'm only working with the revenue generating side, I'm indirectly supporting a thousand people. So by helping our, our, our learners, especially the executives and entrepreneurs we work with, understand that it's not a destination unless the ultimate goal is an exit. And then you're just going to have a new one that they can take a lot of pressure off themselves because executives feel a lot of pressure to get to the finish line, get to the hockey stick. And we're like, Hey, we're going to get there. But every mountaintop is just a base camp for a new climb. Mm -hmm. So let's get to, let's get here. But along the way, let's figure out what the next climb is going to look like. So you don't end up coasting. And when, when companies start coasting, that's usually when competitors come up and bite them from behind. What, what leads a company to start coasting like that and stop? They, they get comfortable. Mm. They get, they, frankly, it's the, the, so a couple of things. Number one is the, the leader has no personal goals. Uh, we're very big believers in tying success for personal goals to success of corporate goals. And in fact, we're just having a conversation this morning at a networking event on, uh, we we're at an economic update and we were talking about how, you know, there's a lot of people who are going out and asking for more money, right? Hey, boss, mm -hmm. can I have a, have a raise? And what we have found is if you can tie, understand your people's personal goals, each person on your team, tie success of the personal goals to success of the business goals, oftentimes you don't need to give them more money because they're motivated already because they feel supported. And so when we get into, excuse me, in the coasting, the executive gets comfortable with where they're at and they stop stretching themselves just a little bit. They don't have to double, triple, but 1% better, be better than zero. And they stop being better than zero and they're just comfortable status quo. And mm. that's when things start to slide. Right. Like the, the do just enough work not to get fired. Yeah, exactly. And from a, when that happens at the leadership level, that organization is in massive amounts of trouble. And you see that happening often. It, not too often, fortunately, uh, someone, someone, I will get asked every now and then by, by, you know, my, by friends, people who, who I've known for a while and they'll be like, so how's the economy in Calgary? I'm like, you're asking the wrong guy. Cause I work with highly ambitious, driven, motivated, goal-oriented individuals. So like, even if we go back into, uh, you know, March of 2020, that's when we first got locked down. We had, uh, sellers who had their best years of sales ever or best months of sales ever, April, May, June, July of 2020, when we were all in the depths. And these were sellers who had been, you know, 10, 20, 30 years of sales, but they kept going out and doing the things that kept their funnels full when everyone else was like hiding under their desks, hoping that COVID was a three week thing. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about um, individual coaching one-on-one -on -one versus group coaching and mm -hmm. how, how they differ. So the, the number one thing with, with group coaching, so most of our support with our clients is peer, facilitator-led peer learning. So we get a bunch of different people from a bunch of different companies in the same room, Zoom room on, on video. They all discover they have the pro same problems. They just call them different things. So it's about creating that safe learning environment. In fact, we had a, a sales leader come as a guest. We, we invite guests to come to our sessions all the time, sample the product, um, and then figure out if we want to keep talking. And they, they came as a guest. 
And at the end of the session, we do um, uh, a, we ask our clients to write down their lessons learned and make a specific commitment for implementation. So they're always moving forward. And we tell our guests, you don't have to do this. Well, this sales leader did put in their lesson learned. And the key thing they said was, this is the safest environment I've ever been in. And this was the first time they'd ever been in our group. No, no. What does that mean? The safest environment. So because especially with the, in our executive and our sales leader group, like we're, we're talking about stuff that they don't get a chance to talk to with anybody else. Right. Mm -hmm. That like they, they can't go to their, their, their boss, who's the CEO and be like, Hey, guess what boss? I'm really struggling. Cause the, the CEO's like, awesome. Still hit your sales target. Cause that's mm -hmm. what you're here for. Um, and it, as a, you know, the CEO or the business owner, like, yeah, they're maybe talking to their spouse or partner. They've got some buddies who maybe own businesses, but they don't have a place to really get into the meat of what is going on in my world. And also because human beings, we're social creatures, but we often think that we all, our problems are our own. And so they get into this room and they go, oh, you're having that. I had that once. I thought I was the only person. So that's the, the group environment. Um, and then the individual side it gets to be much more focused. And sometimes there's things that they, literally they, they don't want to or can't share in a public environment. Um, so that's where the individual can help. But what I've heard from clients of ours who have worked with like a one-on-one -on -one individual coach exclusively, sometimes that becomes enabling because the coach just comes in and kind of goes, oh yeah, you're doing really well, good job. And anyways, I'm going to cash my check and see you in a month. Whereas in, in the group environment, and we, the way we frame our individual coaching, it, it, it's this as well, there's always accountability. You are never allowed to leave one of our sessions without committing to doing something to continue to grow and advance your business. Mm. Uh, there's no coasters that we work with because I, I, I'm a good steward of my client's time and money. I'm not going to take money from someone who just wants to stay status quo. I work with companies who are ambitious and driven and whether they want to have a lifestyle business or they want to be the, the next unicorn. Awesome. I'm here to support. What we're, you know, thinking about a lot are we're called Calabria collaboration. So I'm curious. So that, that was sort of what was, you know, behind my question. Um, when it comes to group coaching, you've, you've explained the differences between the two. When it comes to creating a, a group team dynamic in sales, um, what works, what doesn't work? Yeah, so number one, clarity, right? Leaders' number one job is to create clarity. And, and so that's clarity as a, as a group, right? Like what's, what's the mountaintop that all of us are going towards? But then also as an individual of what do I expect you to do? What are the consequences? You design the consequences for what happens if you don't do that. Um, and I was talk, that's a whole chapter of my first book on consequences, which most of us think is, oh, you didn't do your job, you're fired, which is dumb. Please don't do that. Um, and then, and then consistent, regular touch points of, and in the, in the book on accountability, it's five minutes on Monday, 50 minutes on Friday. So Hamish Monday, what are you going to do this week? Proactive funnel filling activities, current deals in the funnel. What are you moving out of the funnel? Cause you're either punting it. It wasn't a good fit, or you're going to bring it across the finish line. And then Friday, Hey, Hamish on Monday, I heard that you were going to do this. How'd you do? Okay, let's look ahead to next week and then just consistent ongoing basis. What doesn't work is leaders who are only focused on lagging indicators and who are not and who are looking at their each seller on their team as 
basically a number that they got to hit as opposed to a human being with their own hopes and fears and dreams and worldviews. So the, the really successful sales leaders are the ones who get right to that human to human level, understand that person. And, and I believe everybody is a wonderful human being. They just be a bad fit for the role. And that's okay. Because if we can identify that early, that sales leader can can gently exit that seller in a in a in a celebratory way, as opposed to things blowing up as as they often do. So overall, the number one job of a uh, to for a group dynamic is to create clarity, which leads to collaboration. Because when people feel that there's clarity, they're much more comfortable to say, "Ah, you know what? I see where you're going. I just don't really know if if I can get there, or I don't really know if we're going in the right direction. What if we what if we took this path?" just over here to the left. And then the leader can go, yeah, you know what? I see where you're coming from. So clarity and safety creates collaboration, in my opinion. I'm um, thinking back to, to, you know, some conflicts that I've had uh, that were, you know, kind of anti-collaborative and, and just disagreements that, you know, we, we couldn't get past or we had trouble getting past. And it almost always comes back to, uh, a foundational uh, misunderstanding or kind of different understandings of like core terms or core concepts of like what what we're even talking about. We're just we weren't using the same language, um, and it sounds like that's what you're what you're talking about here. Um, you mentioned also um, that a, a mistake that a sales leader can have can make is looking at lagging indicators of the, of a team's performance or of a an individual's performance uh i'm really interested in what are some common mistakes some common lagging indicators that a sales leader could be looking at and what are some good leading indicators that uh they should be more focused on on replacing those lagging ones absolutely and and the, the number one lagging indicator is revenue Right, like, like, did, right. you know, did did the, did the money come in? But it's the number one uh, metric. It's the. <laughs> it's still important, yeah. right? It's still important. Um, and in fact, this is actually a key thing that we talk about with our sales leaders: is the sales cycle is not actually over until the money gets is well, at least in the bank. But actually, the sales cycle ends when the client is getting what they thought they were buying. Right. So in the SaaS world, and I sold SaaS early in my career. Until they are trained and enjoying what the, the benefits of what they thought they were going to get, that's when the sales cycle is ultimately over. But as, as sellers, we're trained the minute that the ink is dry on the deal, move it on. And that is not a great way to create a long-term, usually profitable relationship. So we're, we're very focused on, uh, on two, two sort of buckets, if you will. Um, number one is key performance indicators, KPIs, whatever you want to call them, those are um, outcomes of the, of the second bucket. So leading indicators in, in that would be like um, discovery meetings book to discovery meetings held, right? So a discovery meeting is the first time that the buyer and the seller have agreed to talk because the first time that a buyer and seller talk, whether it's inbound or outbound, somebody's interrupting someone's day. And the worst way to try to sell is on an inbound or an outbound call. Like just connect, get an appointment. So you're both expecting to have a call and then go from there, right? So discovery meetings book, discovery meetings held because sometimes you can book a bunch of meetings with bad, bad fit prospects and they don't end up happening. 
Um, and then the other one is, and this is uh, unique conversations with decision makers. So the key part of that is decision maker. And the other part is unique because I know on sales teams that I've been part of in my career, there were sellers who would call basically the same seven people over and over and over again. And those seven people would always take their call. They would always accept a lunch invitation or a breakfast invitation, and they would never buy. But they got to look busy, right? So unique is, is it the first time we've talked to that decision maker about that product or service in a period of time that makes sense in our sales cycle? So if we're super mm -hmm. transactional, maybe it's the last three months. If we're more in that SaaS enterprise, maybe it's the last 12 to 18 months. So those are the the, 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 the outcomes, right? So this unique conversation with decision makers and discovery meetings booked and held. The first bucket is proactive activities. So how much of what proactive activities and proactive is the key part are they doing? So is that prospecting calls? Is that reaching out on social media? Is that uh, going to networking events? Is that doing like seminars and talks, workshops, master classes? Uh, is it direct mail or direct email? Like direct mail still works, but it's only proactive if it says, I will call you on date at time. And then you actually do. Right. And we've had people on my team, sellers on my team, where the buyer, when they call at the appointed time, they go, wow, you guys keep your word. <laughs> and my salesperson went, is that a good thing? And they're like, it doesn't happen very often. So automatically we're differentiating on how we sell, not what we sell, which is another thing that we teach our clients to do. Yeah. I'm curious about your volunteer work. Um, sure. You want to tell us a little bit about what you do and, and what me motivated you uh, to, to go ahead and volunteer in that way? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and part of that is uh, we we offer uh, uh, scholarships in kind for training on us. So we have a, a scholarship for a local not-for-profit uh, for their executive and their salesperson. We offer two unapologetic saleswoman scholarships. So one to a woman in a sales leader role, one to a woman in a uh, in a sales role, and then we have an indigenous business scholarship. So for an indigenous-owned uh, business. Uh, that uh, for the executive and and for one of their sellers, so they get a year of training on us um, in our executive or leadership group and in our sales group. But I've also been a big volunteer with Enactus Canada um, ever since I first got into Sandler. Uh, I've been a, a donor and a supporter of them. Uh, I also am a mentor through Futurepreneur Canada because they helped me start up and I got a mentor. And so I wanted to give back. And again, that north star of generational wealth, easy lucrative fund manner, but by supporting as many people as possible. So I want to give entrepreneurs the opportunities that I was given when I started up because being an entrepreneur is lonely. And sometimes we're reinventing the wheel just because we don't know any better. And if I can support an entrepreneur, especially a young entrepreneur, uh, with some resources and insights and tools that can accelerate them to their mountaintops makes my day. That's great. How does volunteering make you better at sales? Because I get way more interesting experiences, you know, that the, for, for organizations, for sellers, we're, we're mostly selling based off of the stories that we can tell, right? That raises our credibility. So when we can say to a, a potential buyer, you know, working with a, you know, I've worked with a company who's facing similar things. Here's what we did for them. How does that sound to you? And then the buyer number one goes, oh, so they've seen this before. And number two, oh, they actually have some solutions that could help me. 
but I also get insights into things that I never would would come across. And and one of my uh, long-term clients, we were having our quarterly engagement review and they said, uh, man, you get to pick your clients. And I went, yeah, I do. But who doesn't want to hang out with a bunch of smart, ambitious, driven, goal-oriented people every week? You guys make me better. And I get to learn about things where I was like, you can get paid for that? Like, that's a thing? Awesome. Like, how can I support you? And, and so by volunteering, I get exposed to not only the individuals that I, I'm working directly with, but also the whole mentor space of other leaders who have got their own experiences that I can then take over to my current clients and be like, hey, you're, I heard you're struggling with this. Here's a thing I heard about. I don't know if you want to explore this. So we, we like to, to end each episode with, uh, you know, a question on personal development and growth, uh, in sales. And I have a feeling that you're going to give me some good material here. Um, how can somebody, how can somebody get better at sales? Uh, what should they be reading? What should they be listening to? What should they be doing? Uh, Great question. So, uh, number one, uh, this podcast and my podcast, um, uh, and thank you. Uh, uh, really, it's it's psychology. Read read about how human beings interact because that's what we're mm. doing as sellers. Is we are we are supporting an individual who initially does not trust us, which we talked about earlier, in making a choice. And that's all we're doing is we're helping guide them to a choice. Now, that choice might be, I'm going to buy from you. That choice might be, I'm going to buy from someone else. That choice might be, I'm going to do nothing because I can live with whatever it is, the thing that uh, I brought you in. A, a, a mindset that we coach our the sellers especially on is no one invites a salesperson in without a reason. So no, no buyer is sitting at their desk going, oh, instead of doing my expense report, I'll have a seller come in and jump up and down in front of me for an hour and talk about how awesome they are. Um, so there's a reason it's our job to find a reason. So I would read a lot about psychology um, and how human beings interact. Um, I would also role play. Uh, you know, we talked about uh, before we started recording about how sales is, I believe sales is improv. And the hardest four inches to move in our life is brain to mouth. So we can acquire a whole ton of knowledge but if it doesn't change how we communicate or how we behave with our buyers, it doesn't matter. So finding a role play buddy and practicing over and over again, this is Anders Ericsson who wrote the book Peak, which is the 10,000 hour rule that Malcolm Gladwell popularized. He talks about you got to thin slice things. So where a lot of sales leaders and sellers go wrong is they say, we're going to role play a prospecting call. Well, that's kind of like saying, I'm going to practice a basketball game. Like that doesn't make any sense. We want to thin slice it down. And so slowly build skills over time. So if you can be role-playing at least twice a week for 20 minutes, you're going to improve dramatically. And then the last thing to do to improve in sales is pick up the phone and make a call. In my first six months in Sandler, I made 5,000 cold calls. And wow. I was either speaking directly with or leaving a voicemail for a decision maker. So it was nine to 15,000 dials in my first six months. And it was just pure reps. And the, well, still to this day, most of them suck. But um, <laughs> I, I got better because I was in the game playing as opposed to sitting on the sidelines pre prepping. It's it's funny that you said, you know, that most of them suck. Like they do. Cold calls are are awful, but it's like the difference between a, a great salesperson and a 
terrible salesperson is often not like, it's not like the great salesperson has a closing rate of 60% or something. It's like, it, like you know, a bad salesperson has a close rate of 0.5% and a great salesperson has a closing rate of 1.5%. Like it's, mm-hmm. they're all terrible numbers. It's just, it's about that, that sliver there. And of Absolutely. course, like you said, it's persistence and just getting more at bats. It's getting yeah. more, making more calls. And um, um, Hamish, uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us in the Customer Cafe. Thanks for having me. This was a blast. Yeah, oh. this is a lot of fun. This is a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us for today's brew. Like what you heard? Let the world know. Leave a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Subscribe now so you never miss an exciting episode. See you soon!